Let me ask you a question. Maybe you've, you've sort of played this game before. You've asked yourself or you've asked someone else or someone has asked you, what would you do if someone gave you $10 million? That's a, a fun game to play, isn't it? Where, where you ask yourself those sorts of hypothetical questions where you ask yourself or you ask someone else, what would you do if someone gave you $10 million. You, you give somebody a, an extraordinary situation, a hypothetical situation, and it's a fun thought exercise. But it, it also can reveal some very important things about you, can't it? If you're honest with yourself and you think through a situation like that, it can reveal your values, your hopes, your dreams, the, the way you think about money, the way you think about others, the way you think about God, the way you think about life. It can be incredibly important and helpful to think through a thought exercise like that. In fact, the parables of Jesus can operate sort of like a thought exercise, but instead of them being open-ended hypothetical situations, they're very specific situations. Instead of saying, what would you do if someone gave you $10 million? A parable of Jesus might sound like there was a man and he found $10 million and here's what he did. And often in the parables of Jesus, they make us rather uncomfortable if we really think about them because the person in the situation makes a very poor choice. And after they make a very poor choice, they suffer the consequence of their poor choice. And if we're honest with these parables and we allow them to do their work on us, if we treat them like a thought exercise the way Jesus intended for us to, we might ask questions like, what sort of person is that? As we listen to the story, we might ask, what sort of person is that? And then if we keep thinking, we might ask, what sort of person am I? When you, when you hear the parables of Jesus... Allow them to do their work on you. Allow them to really sink in. Wrestle with them the way you would a situation like, what would you do if someone gave you $10 million? Listen to the situation. Listen to the story and ask, what sort of person is that? What sort of person would do that sort of thing? What sort of person would put themselves in that situation? What sort of person would do that sort of thing in that situation? And then keep wrestling with it. And begin to reflect, that's our theme this year, reflect and renew. Reflect on your life. Reflect on your own values. And ask, what would I do in a situation like that? So if you have your Bible, we're going to be in Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 13. The, the circumstances, the context of the parables that Jesus tells can reveal a lot about the meaning of these parables. So listen at Luke chapter 12, verse 13. Luke re records, someone in the crowd, so again, there's a crowd gathered. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. You can, you can almost hear the anxiety in the man's voice, can't you? Teacher, rabbi, tell my brother, in, intercede in this situation here. We need you to act as judge here, and, and, and I need you to advocate on my behalf 
and I need you to tell my brother that he needs to divide the inheritance with me. You can almost hear his anxiety. You can almost imagine that he's thinking, I may never get my inheritance, or my brother may be a cheat, and he's going to keep more from me than he should. My brother's not going to be fair, and he's not going to play fair with me. And so the man is very anxious about the situation and what will come of it. Verse 14, but Jesus said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your What's that next word? Be on your guard. Be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Think about those phrases that Jesus uses. Take care and be on your guard. Now, this man that's asking Jesus to intercede and tell the brother to divide the inheritance, he's on guard, isn't he? He's taking care. He, he, he realizes that his, his life and his situation is in jeopardy, and so he's guarding his own inheritance. He's taking care. He's being vigilant. But Jesus says he's being vigilant about the wrong sorts of things. He's taking care about the wrong sorts of things. He's guarding against the wrong sorts of things. He's guarding against theft. He's guarding against being cheated. He's guarding against being taken advantage of. And Jesus says, what you ought to be on guard against, what you ought to take care about, is that you're not covetous. What does that mean? What is covetousness? It is the excessive and immoderate desire of acquiring more and more wealth. Let me say that one more time, just in case we didn't get it. Covetousness is the excessive and immoderate desire of acquiring more and more wealth. Jesus says, you really are in jeopardy here, but it's not the kind of jeopardy you think you're in. You really are in danger here, but it's not the kind of danger you think you're in. You think that the danger is your brother's going to take advantage of you and you're not going to have all the money that you need. But what you're really in danger of is becoming greedy and covetous. I mean, how often do we guard against, we are really, really good at guarding against theft, aren't we? We have security cameras. I've got one of those ring doorbells on my house. We, we've, got, we've got security lights. Maybe you've got a big dog in the backyard. We, we put our money in banks that are insured because we want to make sure nobody steals from us. Make sure that nobody takes advantage of us. Make sure that nothing happens to our money. But Jesus says, really what you ought to be on guard against is that you don't become covetous. It's this desire you have for more and more and more and more, this insatiable desire you have for more, that, that's the real danger. That's the real danger you're in. But do we think like that? Did this man think like that? Do we recognize that as a clear and present danger that we're in? That we might become covetous? That our covetousness, our greed, our desire for more and more wealth, that's actually what's destroying us. It's not somebody stealing from us or taking from us or cheating us. The real danger that a lot of us are in 
is that we are becoming greedy for more and more stuff. Verse 16, so Jesus told them a parable. Now remember the context, keep the context in mind. He told them a parable. Now again, he's, he's speaking to the whole crowd. Jesus loved to speak in parables to the crowds because the crowd was a mixed audience, right? We talked about that last week. The crowd is a mixed audience. Some people there love Jesus. Some people are there, are, you know, they're kind of getting on, on the Jesus train. The, the buzz is really going. There's a lot of hype about Jesus. And so some people think maybe they want to follow Jesus. Other people love him. Other people hate him. He told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. In other words, this man happened upon a fortune, right? He happened upon a fortune. He wasn't a thief. He didn't steal this, this, these crops. He didn't steal this money. He didn't steal this land. He's not a thief. He's not a bad guy. He's not a crook. He just happened to have a really good harvest one year. He just happened into all of this wealth. Again, much like the question we ask, what would you do if someone gave you $10 million? That's kind of the situation that this man finds himself in. He's found $10 million. He had a really, really great crop. In fact, it is a ridiculously good harvest. Nobody has ever had a harvest like this. This guy has had the biggest bumper crop ever. And he asks himself the key question, what shall I do? What should I do? And if we're smart, we'll ask ourselves the same question. What would I do if I came into a fortune like that? What would I do if my land produced plentifully? What would I do if I had a surplus? What would I do if I had more than I needed? And that's the situation this man finds himself in. Verse 18, and he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns, I'll build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, I like the way he addresses his own soul, I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Again, this is a ridiculously great harvest. Jesus loves to tell parables with ridiculous situations, situations that would never happen in real life because these extreme situations, they work like a good thought exercise. And so he has so much grain in this one harvest. He says, I don't know what to do with all of this. I'm going to tear down my barns. I'm going to build bigger ones. I'm going to store it up and I'm just going to relax. I'm going to enjoy myself. I'm going to indulge myself. I, I've got plenty for the rest of the foreseeable future. And so I'm good. I, I'm just going to save it. I'm going to store it. I'm going to hoard it. I'm going to indulge it. I'm going to keep it for myself. Verse 20. But God said to him, fool, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you've prepared, whose will they be? And that's the end of the story. That's the end of the story. Why is he a fool? Why is this man a, f a fool? 
Why does God call him a fool? Is it simply because you didn't realize that your, your time was running out? You thought you had more time? You were saving up for a retirement that would never come? Is that why he's a fool? Simply because he didn't count his days? He didn't number his days? Is that why he's a fool? Well, thankfully, Jesus tells us more. He says, verse 21, So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. But again, like we said last week, the right response to a lot of Jesus' parables is, huh? Huh? What does that mean? What do you mean by that, Jesus? Jesus says, this is not just what God says to this man in this hypothetical situation. It's what God is going to say to everyone who does one thing and doesn't do this other thing. Well, what's the one thing that you're not supposed to do if you don't want God to call you a fool? Well, it's don't store up treasure for yourself. And instead, you're supposed to what? Be rich toward God. But what does that even mean? What does Jesus mean by that? What what should the man in the parable have done? What would you have done? What, what, What was this guy supposed to do? Why is it wrong for him to say, hey, it's my grain. I didn't steal it from anybody. I didn't take advantage of anybody. I didn't take something that didn't belong to me. What am I going to do with all this grain? Well, I'm going to save it. I'm going to tear down my barns. I'm going to build bigger barns. I'm going to hold on to it so that I can relax. I can enjoy my life. I can eat and drink and be merry. What's wrong with that? Jesus says everything. Everything. Because God's going to say, fool, to everyone who lives like this. Who lives like what, Jesus? What was he supposed to do? Well, One, he wasn't supposed to store it up for himself. And two, he was supposed to be rich toward God. What? What does that mean to be rich toward God? How do do you be rich toward God? What does that mean? I don't want us to jump too quick to an answer. I just want us to wrestle with it for a minute. To wrestle with that question. What does it mean? to be rich toward God instead of storing up your wealth for yourself? How do you be rich toward God? Just dwell with that a second. Marinate in that a second. Contemplate it. Roll it over and over and over again in your mind because that's what the crowd had to do. But thankfully, Jesus explained things more to his disciples and we're his disciples, aren't we? And so we get to go to Jesus and say, I don't get it. I don't get it. What, what does that mean? What does it mean to be rich toward God? What am I supposed to do if I come into $10 million? What am I supposed to do if suddenly I find myself having more than I actually need? What do I do with my surplus, Jesus? And Jesus is happy to tell us. Verse 22. He said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat, nor about your body, what you'll put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? Do you remember the original context in which Jesus told this parable? It was the man who was anxious, wasn't he? He was anxious about his inheritance. He was anxious about his money. 
Maybe he was anxious about his food. He was anxious about what clothes he was going to wear. And Jesus says, not my disciples. If you're going to be my followers, you, you can't live like that. You can't spend your life worried about having the latest fashions and eating the finest foods. You can't chase after this. You can't spend your life worried and anxious and wringing your hands about all of this stuff. You've got to trust your heavenly father. If God takes care of the birds, how much more is he going to take care of you? But if you're, if you're so worried and you're chasing after all of this and you're making your life about all of this stuff, you're making your life about the clothes that you wear, you're making your life about the food that you eat, you're making your life in our context about the house you live in, the car you drive, or the degree from the university that you have, verse 25, and which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life. Anybody live longer by worrying about it? Never. In fact, the opposite might be true. If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spend, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you're to drink, nor be worried. For the nations of the world, the Gentiles, the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. And we think... But Jesus, what does this have to do with the parable you just told us? Because you just told us a parable about a guy that, that came into a ridiculous amount of money. You told us a story about a guy who became ridiculously wealthy. And in fact, he was already wealthy to begin with. He already was a rich man. And then he got even richer. So why are you telling us now about don't worry? I'm not that guy. I don't have that kind of money. I don't have that kind of wealth. I don't have that kind of treasure. Why are you telling us don't worry when you just told us a story about a guy who didn't have to worry? Because when you're that wealthy, you don't have to worry about your clothes. You don't have to worry about your food. You don't have to worry about where you're going to live. And Jesus says, that's your problem. That's your problem. Because you think that a worry-free life is the result of a lot of money. And it's not. It's not. A worry-free life is the result of being a child of God. And when you're a child of God, whether you have a lot or you have a little, you don't have to worry. Isn't that what he's saying? You see, but we think, we think, well, I do, though. I do, I do have to worry because I don't have $10 million. I do have to worry because I'm not a rich man who has a, a bountiful crop. I'm not that guy. And Jesus says, wait, you still envy him, don't you? Even knowing how it turns out, you still envy him. Even knowing that God says to him, you fool. You fool, all this stuff that you've saved up for yourself, it's going to be given to somebody else. What did it profit you? 
What benefit did you get from any of it? Nothing. And yet here we are, here we are still envying the rich man, saying, yeah, I know money can't buy happiness, but I'd sure like to give it a shot. I'd sure like to try. Jesus says, stop thinking like that. Trust your father. Trust your father. Trust your father. Trust your father for your past. Trust your father for your present. Trust your father for the future. He loves you. He's crazy about you. And you can have a worry-free life right now. Not in some hypothetical future where maybe somebody gives you $10 million. Stop waiting for a bountiful harvest before you start living like God is going to take care of you. Live that way now. So instead of worrying about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink or what you're going to wear, instead of storing it up and thinking, man, I got to be careful, got to be careful because I don't know, I don't know what the future holds. Instead of that, what should we do? Verse 31, instead, seek his kingdom. Instead, seek his kingdom. And these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Do we believe that? Do we believe that it is the Father's good pleasure to give us the kingdom of heaven, to give us his kingdom? One day, God is going to rule as all in all. God will be supreme over all things. There will be no more poverty. There will be no more hunger. There will be no more theft. There will be no more injustice. And God's people will inherit everything. Do we believe that? Do we believe that we as God's people will inherit everything? Jesus says the meek will inherit the earth. You will inherit what Peter calls the new heavens and the new earth where righteousness dwells. The kingdom of God belongs to you. And faith is believing that that's true even when I don't have two pennies to rub together. Believing that's true when all I've got is just a little bit. Believing that it's true that even though I can't see that future reality, it is still a reality. That the kingdom of God is going to be given to God's people. It is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And if we believe that, then when we do have two pennies to rub together, we'll use them differently than the world does. We won't chase after the latest fashions or the biggest houses or the nicest cars. We won't hold on to them for ourselves. In fact, he says, verse 33, whew, this is tough. I told you it makes us uncomfortable. Jesus says, sell your possessions. Give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old. With a treasure in the heavens that does not fail. Where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. What are you saving for? 
What are you investing towards? What do you believe the future holds? See, this hypothetical situation about this rich man who suddenly gets even richer, if we'll truly wrestle with it, it will reveal to us what do you think the future holds? Is it possible that you're investing towards a retirement that you'll never enjoy? Saving for a car that you'll never drive? Storing up for a vacation that you'll never take? Or even if you do, even if you do buy that car, even if you do take that vacation, even if you do enjoy that retirement, it will not last. It won't last. But there is one guaranteed investment, one guaranteed investment, giving it away. Giving it away. When you exercise generosity, when you, as Jesus says, give to the needy, because, because you're trusting in your heavenly Father, and you know, oh, I've got a surplus. I've got an abundance. I've got some extra. I'll give my extra to someone else. You remember the church in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 4? What did they do when they came into the kingdom? They started selling their stuff and giving it to each other. Why? Because they trusted their heavenly Father. That it was the Father's good pleasure to give them the kingdom. They knew what the future held, and because they knew what the future held, they were investing in a guaranteed return investment. You can't get guaranteed return investments except with your heavenly Father. That when you invest in the kingdom that is to come, when you invest not in these nations that are falling apart or these households that are falling apart or in the stuff that rust destroys and that thieves steal, these things do not last but the kingdom of God is forever and it belongs to you and you can make investments in the kingdom now. Right now, you can make investments in the kingdom. But so many of us, we're too worried about what we're going to eat, what we're going to wear, what we're going to drive, where we're going to live. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Listen to what Proverbs 19 and verse 17 says. Proverbs 19, 17 says, Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he, that is the Lord, will repay him for his deed. That's what it means to be rich towards God. What does it mean to be rich towards God? It means give to the poor. Share with the people who don't have and when you share with the people who don't have because you trust in your heavenly father that he's going to take care of you, you're actually giving God alone. Isn't that what Proverbs says? You're giving the Lord alone. Now, what would you do? What would you do if Jesus was standing here in the flesh? Jesus was standing here in the flesh and he asked you, I need a loan. And you say, how much, Jesus? I love you. <laughs> I'd give to you all day long. How much do you need, Jesus? And Jesus says, as much as you can spare. As much as you can spare. I, I still want you to be able to eat, and I still want you to be able to take care of your family, but as much as you can spare, would you lend it to me? And I promise you, I'm good for it. I, I promise you, I'm going to take care of you. How much would you lend him? How much would you lend him? 
See, this is what Jesus is encouraging us to think through. What are you chasing? What are you storing up for? What are you saving for? What are you investing towards? What do you believe the future holds? Because we know, don't we? We know that everything tangible and physical is falling apart. I I don't know if this nation will last another 10 years, another 100 years, another 1,000 years. I don't know how long it will last, but it won't last forever. And I know your house, as nice as your house may be, it won't last forever. Your car, as great as it may be, it won't last forever. But the kingdom of God is forever. And when you invest in the kingdom by taking your possessions and sharing with people who are in need, you are lending to the Lord, trusting that he will take care of you. So the question is, but the question isn't, Because chances are you and I aren't going to have $10 million to worry about. Just like the audience of Jesus, they weren't going to have a bumper crop like the parable. So the question isn't, what would you do if you had $10 million? It's, what would you do if you had the exact amount of money that you have? What would you do? What are you saving for? How do you think about life? How do you think about money? How do you think about possessions? So are you storing up wealth for yourself or lending it? To the Lord. See, Jesus shows us perfectly what this looks like, doesn't he? 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Even though Jesus was rich, for our sake, he became poor that through his poverty we might become rich. He gave of himself, he emptied himself for others. And he teaches us how to do that. Now, that's not to say that we earn our salvation. We work our way towards God by giving away our stuff, by by practicing generosity. We can't earn our salvation. We're not saved by works. We're saved by faith. We're saved by God's grace through faith. But we receive salvation the same way that we practice generosity, by faith. You were baptized because you trusted God with your soul to say, I trust you to save me. And if you trusted him with your soul, why in the world would you not trust him with your checking account? Why would you not trust him with your wallet? Why would you not trust him with your possessions? Why would you not trust him with everything? When we surrender our life to Jesus, what we're saying is, you're my king, not just my savior. And I'll follow you. I'll trust you that it really is the Father's good pleasure to give the kingdom of God to his flock. Maybe somebody here this morning, you're ready to surrender your life to Jesus, to allow him to teach you how to live. Even though he was rich, he became poor, that we might become rich through his poverty. Maybe you're ready to surrender your life to Jesus in baptism. Or maybe... You haven't been trusting him. You you gave your life to him in baptism, but you haven't surrendered your whole self to him yet, and it's time to surrender to him. Or maybe you just need prayers and encouragement. Whatever we can do for you this morning, we're here for you as together we stand and sing this song.